or abandoned or abused in the worst way. We watch the power of God to melt a heart that is callous and bitter and make it soft and pliable so that you are willing to receive someone who does not deserve um, an olive branch from you. And then not only that, but how the Lord can use you in that abuser's life or in that person who betrayed you in their life to actually be the tool that draws them to you. And today I am here with Priscilla Shire. Priscilla, say hello. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on. Um, You've done a number of projects that we love here at Charisma, but right now we're actually here to talk about I Can Only Imagine. So what first drew you to this film? Well, of course, the song is incredible and has blessed so many people. Amen. And so to be able to have a small part of telling the story is incredible to me. But also because about 10 years ago, I met Bart Millard. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't remember meeting me from Adam, but I remember. And there was such humility and such a determination to focus on ministry, despite the magnitude of the song, despite the fact that literally at that moment there were about 10,000 people waiting on him to sing. He just was kind. And so when I was asked to be a part of telling the story, that's what I remembered. And it felt like a privilege to be able to give back to this person who, in such humility and graciousness, has given so much to all of us. I feel like I've met him because I've interviewed him once. But, you know, you go through so many interviews, you're like, I probably don't actually remember that person. But I like to think that he really enjoyed our conversation because we talked about everything from baton to jazzercise to the song. So... That he was also very nice. Yes. He told me I can my I can only imagine story, which was me catching my baton in my mouth by accident when I was in elementary school, is the most unique one he has heard. So <laughs> what actually do you remember your first exposure to the song and what that was like? You know what? I don't know that I can remember the very, very first time that I heard it. I, gosh, at this point, I, I don't know many people who can because we, we love it so much mm-hmm. and I've heard it so many times that it's just become like a part of the fabric of our, you know, life with God, that he's using it at different points to speak different things to us. But I can tell you that when I do hear it, even still now, all these years later, it's one of those songs that just sends you to your knees, hands Mm -hmm. outstretched, in awe and admiration and, and appreciation to the Lord for allowing us the privilege of eternity with him. I love it. So you have also starred in some other popular Christian films, namely War Room, which we also love. How does I Can Only Imagine stand apart from that film? Well, it's, it's really the story of a, a boy and his father. And that's what I think is so powerful about this in our, in our culture, where fatherlessness is such a, mm, a crisis that absolutely. we're dealing with, particularly in the African-American community. I will even tell you that, I mean, it's like 70% of homes are without a father. I mean, it's a huge crisis. So in this story, you see a young man whose father basically isn't there. I mean, he he is there, but he is terribly abusing Bart um, physically and emotionally. So to see that that um, kind of fatherlessness, and then to watch Bart's heart be hardened, you know, understandably be hardened by unforgiveness, and watching God melt that that heart. I mean, that means for any of us who have been betrayed or abandoned or abused in the worst way, we watch the power of God to melt a heart that is callous and bitter and make it soft and pliable so that you are willing to receive someone who does not deserve um, an olive branch from you. Mm. And then not only that, but how the Lord can use you in that abuser's life or in that person who betrayed you in their life to actually be the tool that draws them to Jesus. 
I love it. Now you talk about the abuse. You talk about the fatherlessness. What sort of spiritual warfare do you think is going on in various communities that makes this film so much more than just a basic, here's a happy story about how the Lord restored us? You know, because we get to see the power of God so um, fully displayed on many levels. So with the Father, it's about actually coming to know Jesus as the Lord. In fact, if you ask if you ask Bar, he'll tell you that the reason why he knows God is real is because if his father could go from being a monster mm-hmm. into the man who was the last two years of his life, then he knows for sure there has to be a God. So we see that layer. We see the forgiveness layer with Dart himself. And then we see how the Lord can take a story that is messy and not only make a miracle out of it, but actually make music out of it. <laughs> and, and that speaks to all of us because all of us have messy stuff in our lives, stuff that we're like, that is a total waste of a whole season of my life, maybe, or a whole childhood, (laughs) or those college years. What a waste. I did so many bad things, or bad things were done to me. There's nothing that can come of this. You'll leave this movie not only with a better appreciation for the song, but you'll leave this movie going, wait a minute, if he can do that for that guy, this is a real-life story, it's not fiction. So if he can do that for that guy, he can take my mess and make a miracle out of it. And then beyond that, he can make music out of it. He can actually make something beautiful out of my mess. What is a messy experience that you've had that you've really seen the Lord come through and restore? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look back on college years, and, you know, I made some pretty foolish mistakes. I look back on those now, and I don't know if there's ever been a season of your life where you look back on yourself and go, who was that crazy woman? It right happens there? a lot, yes. That's I've right. experienced that. Yeah, where you can't, you can't believe the relationships you allowed. You can't believe the choices that you uh, chose. You can't believe the, the influences that you sort of accepted into your sphere of influence. And you look back on that and go, oh my gosh, Lord, are you, are you serious? I, I can't believe that I even made it through that without, um, you know, without more damage to my life. And you realize not only his protective care and covering over you during that time period, but then you look back and see the little bits of beauty that came out of it, mm. the little um, bits of character or endurance or um, fortitude that he established in your life, even as a result of your foolishness. Um, and there are bits and pieces I look back on and realize that very much of the calling that I have now even stemmed from things he had brewing in my heart back then in a rebellious season that he didn't totally cast out as unusable, mm. but rather he for- forgave, and then he gives us um, fodder for the future from those seasons of our life, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, even as you're talking, I'm reminded of the parable of the sower and like some seeds falling on the rocky ground, some falling within the thorns, some falling in the fertile ground. And you're talking about how like the seeds that God planted in you, you didn't even realize at the time how they grew up and who you would become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in Christian media, I say this as a Christian journalist, there are stories about heaven is for real or hell is for real and people who have been to heaven, been to hell, come back, and are sharing these amazing stories. How do you think I Can Only Imagine kind of fits within that from someone who has never actually been there, but is trying to picture what life is like after we die? Well, I really do think that it is, you know, for people that find it maybe hard to really connect with those more extreme stories like you've just mentioned, and maybe there's just because of the way they were raised or because Mm -hmm. of the 
sort of influences that they've had, that's just hard for them to wrap their mind around that. And there's more skepticism or critique of that in their mind than there is acceptance and appreciation for the message. What I think is that this film will give them a more um, level view of it. It will cause them to still think of the exact same thing, but maybe in a way that's palatable for them because Mm. it's just more grounded in the reality of what maybe they can picture for themselves. Because let's, be honest, there are so many dysfunctional childhoods that are represented by each and every one of us, different bits and pieces of our childhood that was dysfunctional or, or of our college years or paths that we took that weren't um, in our best interest. And we can see ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. But when you see Bart on screen and realize his story and you realize that out of his story came an appreciation for heaven and eternity and that, that were his, that's where his father would be in the presence of Jesus despite living such a disastrous life. Well, you can plant yourself in that story at some mm-hmm. point and in some way, and it causes you and compels you to look at eternity and heaven and Jesus in an entirely different light. I love it. I'm trying not to tear up right now. We're going to make it. It's just such a powerful concept that me as a Christian, I know I have a hard time wrapping my my brain around the idea of eternity and forever and ever and just being with the Lord. And it's it's a good thing, but at the same time, you're like, wow. That's a oh, lot. yeah. Yeah, it is. Can you tell me a little bit what your prayer life was like as you were considering this role? Oh, yeah. Just as, as always, with every opportunity, it's, Lord, what is it that you want for me in this season of my life? Mm-hmm. Is this, as, as great and as fun of, as an opportunity as it would be, is this part of your purposes for me? Is this where I'm supposed to be partnering with you? Is this an investment of time and energy and effort that you want for me? Um, I, I pray that about every every opportunity. And again, and I, I say that not just about film, but mm-hmm. I'm saying that about whether it's a book that I'm considering writing or it's a group that I'm going to speak to or it's a, uh, a, you know, a ministry that needs serving at my church. M- my question is still the same. Lord, is this what you have for me? Because I think sometimes... Um, when opportunities look good, we assume mm-hmm. they're God, and every good opportunity isn't necessarily God's opportunity for you. So the prayer is, Lord, what do you have for me? And then if this is for me from you, well, then give me enough courage to do it, because I don't feel equipped, I don't feel capable, I'm not skilled or trained in this way. So so give me enough courage to just say, yes, Lord, and trust your spirit. But if this is not from you, well, then give me enough courage to walk away and realize that in doing that, I've actually made space. Mm. for the person that you do want to do it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting out of the way so that they can walk in their calling and do what you've called them to be. So that was my prayer for this project as well as any other. Lord, just to the best of, of uh, my ability, open my ears to be able to hear clearly um, what you have for me and then give me the courage to obey. I think that's such a fascinating, compelling, and almost convicting idea of you know, making space for someone else, because so often projects are like, oh, yes, I do need to lead worship at this church and pray about this song and step into this. Like, this is obviously a place that will honor God, but that's not necessarily where He wants us at that time. That's right. And if you don't take time to just be still before saying yes, then you say yes to everything. And by the time God's thing for you arrives, you're too exhausted and too fully committed to do what He intended for you to do in the first place. I I deeply feel that right now. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this next question. But as an actress, as a speaker, as an author, you are often in the public eye. How has this really challenged your faith and forced you to live in a life of integrity? 
Oh, man. I love that question because integrity Woo-hoo! is critical. I like it when you like questions. Oh, yeah. Integrity is seminal and critical to, gosh, all of our lives, but particularly when we're in ministry, purporting one thing in public and then not living that in private is devastating. Mm-hmm. It's devastating not only to us, but it's devastating when the lights come on and it's made clear and laid bare who you really are. And the lights always come on. I mean, everything in the dark is coming into the light. That's in numbers, um, so, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything that's it's in the dark will come there. to life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's the truth. And so um, I find that there's not power. There's not um, favor of God on our ministries when there's no integrity behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to live like that. I, I don't want a ministry that's a show. I could just go into show business for that. Um, and and, and th- that's the reality. You can be an entertainer or a motivational speaker mm-hmm. um, for that. But if you really want favor and God's power on what you're doing, then holiness matters. And so I don't know that it's because of notoriety that I want to live holy. In fact, I know for sure it's, it's not that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's because I want God's favor on my life. So if I want God's favor on my life, whether I'm ministering to one person at a coffee shop where I disciple a, a, a young lady, whether that's someone's ministry or the ministry requires them, yes, to be an under a spotlight with a microphone on a stage, it doesn't matter what you're doing or to how many people. Holiness is what keeps the doors of communication and intimacy Mm -hmm. and the doors and the floodlight of God's favor flooding your life. Now, I know that salvation is not about works, but what are some steps that you take that keep you humble and holy before the Lord? Well, I tell you, kids have a lot to do with that, because (laughs) even when you consider being prideful, your kids remind you that you just actually need to change their diapers. So (laughs) (laughs) That happens sometimes, yes. That's right. There's just laundry to do. So there's no room for any pride uh, over here. Um, but then, you know, just constantly being reminded. I, I mean, I constantly just feel grateful. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe that God, knowing me as he does, would continue to let me partner with him to do anything. I, I just can't believe it. Mm-hmm. So that constantly leads me away from a sense of pride. I mean, that's the opposite of what I could feel, knowing that a holy perfect, omniscient, sovereign God who could use anyone to do anything at his beck and call, or in his holiness, could steer clear of all of us and just stay tucked up in the heavens, having no relationship at all with any of us. Mm -hmm. The fact that he actually chooses to engage and guide and lead and then empower us to do his good good will and good bidding, I can't even believe that. That right there just leaves no room for any pride at all. Mm. It's just, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much that you would give me this privilege. Is there an experience where you really felt the Lord humbled you, and you're like, oh, okay, wow, I've, I've got to learn from this? Say that again? Is there an experience where you really felt like the Lord humbled you, and you're like, okay, wow, I've got to learn from this and move forward? Um, you know, I remember one time I was much younger speaking somewhere. It was just a very small group, but I had not. Uh, prepared the way mm-hmm. I thought I should. It still sort of haunts me, even today. I have <laughs> stuff I like that all the time. Yeah, I remember speaking, but not clearly. And I remember communicating, but without accuracy. And I regretted that. I mm-hmm. regretted that. Um, and I regretted it not because I was embarrassed for myself. It was because I felt bad that I had cheated the people there, mm-hmm. that they had come not to hear me uh, they had come to hear God, and I had kind of stood in the way of that. I was in the way. Mm. So that's my goal, is to get out of the way. 
<clears throat> how can I prepare myself so that I can be empty of pride or self-awareness in the moment and allow God to speak through mm-hmm. me? That takes that takes time. That takes preparation. I think we have separated a move of God from mm-hmm. devotion. I think we think that if the Holy Spirit's going to take over, that means that we don't have to prepare. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, That's not how that I, works. <laughs> Yeah, I see clarity for us in that. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, I've been mm-hmm. enamored by Simeon lately, who, when the little boy Jesus is brought into the temple by his parents, uh, Simeon gives what looks like this extemporary, extemporaneous prophetic word that blesses the people who are gathered, including Mary and Joseph. He pronounces that this is Jesus Christ the Lord. He makes sure people know this is the Messiah. I mean, he just speaks this beautiful, poetic word to all the people who are gathered, and it looks like it just comes out of nowhere. And in fact, it says that the Holy Spirit guided him and his words, and that's what we want. Mm -hmm. We want our words to to be lifted up on the wings of God's Spirit into the heart. But what it says about Simeon, in the little introductory verse about him in Luke chapter 2, is that he was devoted and he was righteous. Amen. So here was a man who actually had devoted himself to the study of Scripture. So when you look carefully at his Spirit-inspired words, most of them are lifted right out of the book of Isaiah. Mm. So yes, the Spirit inspired him to speak them in due season to the right people, to notice that this toddler was the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. Yes, he was inspired by God's Spirit, but the inspiration of God's Spirit was Mm -hmm. on the firm foundation of devoted study of the Word of God. And we have separated those two, thinking, man, God's Spirit's going to move. I don't need to practice (laughs) singing, or I don't need to develop my skill. I just can just wait for God's Spirit to hit me. But God's Spirit oftentimes, and most times, I believe, works in our lives to bless others and to edify others Mm -hmm. in conjunction with us being approved students of God's Word and and stewards of our relationship with Him. Amen. I know that I'm going to quote two different people here. First, my counselor um, I have for a long time in college. One of the things he always told me is from Proverbs, and it says, the horse is made ready for war, but the victory rests with the Lord. Like, you can trust in the Lord for the victory, but God has still equipped us to do what we can to prepare ourselves for the battle. And then my dad always says, you know, it's easier for the Lord to drive a moving car than a parked one. And it's so hard to allow the Holy Spirit to flow if you're not already prepared and open with your heart and armed with the scriptures necessary to be in a certain situation. Yeah. I love it. I'm like sitting here like, I have questions, but also, wow, that was amazing. Um, We are actually going to swap gears for a second and not really talk about your project, and I can only imagine, but as your role and as a wife and mom, like, I am someone who I just got engaged. I'm getting married later this year. What sort of advice Congrats. do you have? Thank you. I'm really excited. I tell everyone. Um, what sort of advice do you have for me as I'm trying to work on building the foundation of my marriage? Well, I I would encourage single women to practice submission now. Mm. Because it's not a, a, man, a magic wand does not get waved when you say, I do. And all of a sudden, you want to be submissive. If you have not practiced, yeah, I have a hard time with that one. Oh, I mean, we all do, and and not just women; men do too. All human beings have an issue. Our pride and our ego causes us to have issue with submitting and yielding to another person that's in legitimate authority over us. So, if you're not practicing that, 
then it's not going to happen easily in marriage. It's going to be a constant struggle. So practice it now. There should be spiritual authority in everybody's lives, um, again, male and female. So as we practice submitting to legitimate authority in our life um, and yielding to them and honoring them and respecting them, then as you do that, it will make this transition into marriage mm-hmm. where, yes, you are equal parties. There's no value that is less one than the other, male or female, but there is a difference in position. And so you honor the position of your spouse like he should honor the position of his wife. We honor that and respect that and value that, but you've got to practice that so that you're mm-hmm. prepared for it and, it's, and you're not blindsided by it when you're married. That is really good. I know submission is definitely something that I struggle with on a regular basis because, you know, for so long, you're an independent person. You're used to making your own decisions. And then when you get married or even just enter a relationship, especially a godly relationship, you need to consider how your work together affects your future ministry. And that is something that we are wrestling sounds so strong um, because it's not a bad thing, but it's something we're actively praying through. So what are some prayers that you had before you got married that set up a successful marriage for you? Man, you just took me back nearly 20 years. That is a very good question. Um, I just just remember praying and asking the Lord to help us um, with communication. I think communication is one of the hardest things Mm -hmm. because each of you has different love languages. You Mm -hmm. have different styles of communicating. Um, So just that he would be receptive to to me, to my opinions, to my um, communication styles, and vice versa, so that we would honor each other, be patient with each other when communicating, and try to put ourselves in the other person's shoes so that we can enter into every conversation with compassion and sympathy instead of with judgment and with a need to be right. You know, I ask for advice for married couples, but I feel like this applies to almost any relationship. How much stronger can your friendships be, your relationships with your coworkers, with your boss, if you practice submitting, if you try to consider what the other person needs, how to support them in that? Did it just... Absolutely. That metaphorically just hit me upside the head. So (laughs) we'll be good. We'll make it out. I actually have asked all the questions I have for you. Do you have anything you'd like to add? No, that's it. I, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me Oh, today. it's been my pleasure. Can you pray us out and pray for our listeners? That sounds good. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you, Father, for the lives that will be touched as a result of this conversation. Be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Start off 2018 with a fresh awakening to the promises of God. In the new Spirit-Filled Life Bible, Pastor Jack Hayford offers dynamic kingdom equipping through the power of the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit. For a limited time, pick up your copy, 40% off, at thomasnelson.com. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.